And so at 6 a.m. we set it live. Our our like emails to all our VIP signups weren't even supposed to go out till seven. And I set it live, and our friend Jenny is like waiting to. Uh, she wanted to be the first backer. to be the first backer. So she got up early, and she's sitting on chat with us. And I and I'm like, okay, it's live, and I send her the link. And as I'm pasting her the link, it goes one, two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And I'm like, send, I'm like, Jen, you gotta log in faster. You're not even gonna make top 100 at this point. And she's like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I can't, I can't remember my password. So we were funded in 16 minutes. Jenny made backer like 68 or something like that. And, it, and she backed us like four minutes in. In this episode of Masters of Crowdfunding, we have Amy and Dusty Droz of Ducks Somnium Games. Now, Amy and Dusty launched their very first Kickstarter campaign in May of 2023 with the launch of their board game called Botany. Now, this was a huge hit on Kickstarter. In the first 24 hours, they raised over $100,000. And by the end of the campaign, they went over $1 million. Now, you may not know this, but getting over $1 million put them in the top 0.13% of all campaigns ever on Kickstarter. So they graciously share all the lessons learned, the ups, the downs, everything in between, so you can apply it to your own crowdfunding launch. So without further ado, I give you Amy and Dusty Droz. All right, Dusty, Amy, so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. For having us. Excited to dive in. So Botany has been a, a huge success. First crowdfunding campaign for both of you. But before we get into Botany, you know, I've heard that you both are high school sweethearts. I'd actually love to go back to the beginning a little yeah. bit. How, how did y'all? How did y'all meet? Like first day of freshman year of high school, and we had gone to two different elementary schools. And I walked around the corner in our high school. Actually, had an actual indoor hallway, which is not that common in California. And she's just sitting by herself in the hallway, and it was like straight out of a movie. I was like, "Oh my god, that's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my entire life." It took me like, uh, like three months to work my way up to like actually talking to her and I went straight to you know will you date me no intro no nothing and she panicked and said yes and here we are <laughs> put him in the friend zone for a while yeah she did friend zone me for a while yeah yeah Amy what was your what was your uh, perspective on it same story slightly different I actually remember like you know when you get like every all the freshmen together and have the meetup he asked this other girl for no she asked you, Jenna asked you for like a breath mint. Tic Tac, yeah. My first remembrance of him. Boxes of the Tic Tacs were my entry to get in. And people were just using me for the Tic Tacs, I realize now. But back then, I thought it was a great like icebreaker. It was, oh, you want a Tic Tac? But yeah, I panicked, said yes, and then put him in the friend zone. <laughs> and here we are. Now, now Botany is, like I said, a huge hit on Kickstarter. But I'd love to go back. Like, how did you even come up with Botany? You know, you can go... Tell the whole story. Like, what was it about the background that led you to this idea? So we've always loved gaming together. Like, Dusty's grandma was, like, big into gaming. So in high school, we played, what, Rummy 13? Rummy 13 with her, with her yeah. all the time. And then... I've been playing Star Wars CCG and Magic and Battletech and, you know, and Axis and Allies since I was a kid. And so as we started, like when we started dating, we, you know, I started looking for games that we could kind of like that she, that she could play too, because she's not into like the really hardcore ones. And so we started playing things like Dominion and Munchkin, and then it just sort of branched from there. And then I've always loved like vintage things and Jane Austen, 
and vintage books and then flowers, of course. And then so like during COVID, we started doing a lavender farm and we started selling flower presses. Like we would make wooden flower presses and sell them on Etsy. And then, yeah, we... Dusty wanted to paint some miniatures. I yeah, had any doubts on his painting ability. I have wanted to paint miniatures for a long, long time. And Amazon had a sale. And this, you know, this sounds silly, but this is absolutely the reason the business got started. Amazon had a sale on Star Wars Legion. And I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to paint miniatures. So I bought the core box of Star Wars Legion. This was last year. He did much better than I anticipated. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> believed in my painting skills. And then, so then it spiraled from there. Then I was like, ooh, it'd be cool if I could print my own miniatures. I want a 3D printer. Well, if I want a 3D printer, if, you know, I see people sell 3D prints on Etsy. We are already set up for Etsy. What if I started an Etsy store where I sell 3D prints? Well, all these people are selling this, you know, every single store on Etsy is selling the same prints. So why is anybody going to go with me instead of this other guy who sold so much more? Oh, well, we need to come up with some way to differentiate. Well, if we're going to differentiate, we could pay a sculptor to make sculpts that were unique to us. Well, if we're making sculpts that are unique to us, we should make a board game. <laughs> and then, so we have another game that's in process called Dream Sliver, and that's sort of yeah, going slow. Realize like that that all it was costing a lot more than we and taking a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. a slow process. And so then I love like reading about flowers and like the historical aspect of the Victorians and stuff and the flower hunting. And I'm like, what if we made a board game about? flower hunting right here in the kitchen she said that to me and my first thought was our shelf has things like you know wingspan and and parks and like a lot of very non-traditional non non-nerd or not i guess they're a bird nerd a different. right different kind of nerd right not not fantasy and sci-fi board games that are out there and i said yeah yeah i think that sounds like it could work let's try it and, and within then we were like we could use public domain images since it's the botanical illustrations that I love so much and so like ninety percent of the gameplay was done two weeks later we figured it all out and it was just a matter of like refining it from there. So I mean there, there's one thing to you know be a someone that enjoys board games and tabletop games and all the other things that you know all the other interests that you were talking about. That's another thing to create a tabletop game. What did you, how did you figure that out? How did you learn how to create a good game? That's a good question. Yeah, so we're just like talking about, okay, what would they have done in like in the Victorian time? Like, and then we realized later it's actually a process. It's a real methodology. Yeah. We, we, that we didn't know. We approached it super logically. So, and we found there's, there's a, methodology of board game creation that's that's based on like implementation of like real world things and so that's what we did and we we're like okay well you know what's the game about well it's about collecting flowers around the world okay well so what would make sense for that well we should have a world map and you should be going around the world and then then it was like okay well you know what that's interesting but what else these expeditions would take years but so we're like we can't do years but we could do a certain number and then they would return mm -hmm. and with flower presses those were a lot cheaper to get the plant specimens and then during the victorian time these wardian cases came out and that so they allowed you to like preserve and take well take your specimens home with Keep a them alive life yeah expectancy so that's how the wardian cases made their way in the game and then we were then amy is telling me all these stories about like oh what you know all these really random things happen to people were like well then it would make sense to have events in the game and every time you do stuff you got to deal with the consequences of the events and then how you know how do they deal with these events? Well, they so were these prepared. events were 
crazy. Yeah, like guys on the side of a volcano and it's on the volcano's erupting and they fall in a pit trap with a bull on it and the dude was missing an eye and he had a pet falcon and no blood. Yeah, he was just it was just like you couldn't make these stories up. Like the most outrageous cards in the game are are the most likely to be like like just full on true stories that we that we borrowed. Yeah, and so then, uh, oh, well, they need items, and they take crew, and some of them had pets, and, you know, and so we sort of built the entire game out off of the story, which is, like, a design methodology that works, like, really well for us, because instead of trying to, instead of trying to create things out of thin air, you're, you're, you have a story, and you're sort of modeling, you're using the game and the mechanics to model, like, how, you know, what the game-based representation of that would be. Makes sense. And, and what were your two individual roles in the game? I'm sure there were, or in, in terms of creating the game, I'm sure there was overlap, of course, but were there certain things that you specialized in? Yeah, Dusty actually wrote pretty much all the things. I would give him like the ideas because I was researching and reading all these crazy things. And I would be like, Dust, I just read a story where this guy was in like Africa and he took a little sprig of a plant, stuck it in his pocket, and his toothbrush was in it. Because that's where you keep your toothbrush. And then he brushed his teeth the next morning and his heart started slowing down. We should do a card on that. And so then I would find some sort of graphic or picture or something. And then Dusty would write. And I did all the graphic design. Dusty did all the, like he came up. I mean, we discussed all the mechanics. Yeah. But he, he did the writing. The math. Like, a lot yeah. more of the math. Dusty's the math. I'm the creative, like... Amy does, yeah. Amy creates, and I facilitate her creation. <laughs> so, yeah, the graphic design, all the cards and stuff. And I do all the business stuff. Um, business. Amy does all the research, yeah. Okay, now talking about business in terms of, you know, deciding to bring this product to life, how did you decide on crowdfunding was going to be the platform to actually launch your game? We had we had back some stuff over the years, like really big projects or things we knew. And my uh, brother had also done one in two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, and he made like twenty twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars, which was awesome, like unbelievable, mind blowing amount of money. And so we thought, okay, well, you know, we have to, you know, if you want to go to manufacturer, you, most of them have a minimum order quantity that they require, which requires a fair amount of capital. And so, you know, we were looking at Kickstarter and stuff and we're like, well, you know, this is basically just pre-orders for the game. And so if we raise enough money through pre-orders to fund the minimum order quantity, then we're all set. And we can, you know, we we were really hoping to maybe get like 500 backers and which would have been it would have been incredible. And that would have given us enough to make our minimum order quantity and maybe have a like a thousand units left over to, to sell through the store. And then the plan was then to sell those units and use it to fund more board games and sort of, you know, kind of build up the business from there. And so it, it just seemed like a good way to literally kickstart the business. So you talked about minimum order quantity. Some people might not be familiar with that. So how did you go about even figuring out what that was going to be or what that needed to be? And even maybe just explain a little bit of what exactly that is. It might sound obvious, but some people aren't, aren't actually too aware of it. So we didn't have a darn clue what it took to manufacture anything a year ago. So we've done a lot of learning. And actually, when we started talking to you guys, Maria was kind of talking to us about, oh, do you have your manufacturer and stuff? And we said, no, we don't have a clue. And she was the one that actually found, she found this great list of manufacturers and top of the list was our manufacturer, Panda. And so then we started, you know, we started talking to them. We started talking to their manufacturers and we immediately saw, okay, you know, they have a, they have a, like a scaled pricing. So the more you order, the more the pricing comes down. So when you get a quote from them, they're like, okay, well, our minimum order quantity is 2000 units. 
and the price at 2,000 units is this much and the price at you know, 5,000, 10,000. So they'd have breakpoints where the price came down. But yeah, we did not we did not understand what that was until I started looking into what it would take to make a game to know how much money we'd even need to have to know how much to even save, save and or hope to get from Kickstarter. Got it. I do feel like there's a lot of people that their plan is to launch their campaign and then figure out manufacturing later. You know, you went the other direction of of finding the manufacturer beforehand. Yeah, can you talk about some of the the benefits? I mean, obviously you went in this direction of finding the manufacturer before you launched, but maybe the reasons why you did that and why you think that is so important to do before you launch? Well, I mean, you know, Kickstarter isn't just give me a ton of money. Kickstarter is business sales, right? And so you you don't want to sell an item without knowing how much it costs you, without knowing how much product you need and if you're how much profit you're going to have, I should say. And how much the product weighs because the shipping shipping yeah changes. And so you got to know every ounce of every bit of math of what it's going to cost you to get that unit to the person that you sold it to on Kickstarter. And uh, if you so if you just yeah if you just do a Kickstarter and say oh my product's forty dollars. But it ends up costing you $50. Yeah, then you're messed over. And that's how some, you know, you hear some of these horror stories. And that's how that happened is they didn't know or the prices changed drastically. And they didn't have a mechanism built in to, to deal with those changes or, 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 you know, weren't aware of it in the first place. So, so you know, Kickstarter isn't just I have a bunch of money and now I can make the thing. Kickstarter, like I said, is it's effectively pre-orders. And, and like any other sale, you need to know exactly what's going into it and exactly what's coming out of it so that you can make decisions on you know, what's my budget for advertising? And, you know, can I order extra stock? Because in our case, we, you know, the plan had always been that we were going to have enough to buy more than just the stock to fulfill our Kickstarter orders so that we could- At least that was our hope. Our hope, yeah. So that we could then, you know, continue to run the business, sell product, fund, you know, continue a revenue stream and fund the next game, which we can, you know, so that when we launch our next Kickstarter, then it's the same thing again, that it's just another round of pre-orders and it's not, you know, oh, let's see how much money we get and then hope we can make it work kind of thing. Like you, you got to know every ounce of it going into it. So on the very first day, you raised over $100,000 in 24 hours, which is a, a wild amount. I actually want to go back to what was that like? Like take us back to what that feeling was like seeing that. And also <laughs> was it like meeting your expectations, like seeding under your expectations? Yeah, just bring us back to that moment. Well, maybe should we go back to how we found you guys first? Yeah, we didn't have a clue how to Kickstarter. So we typed in how to Kickstarter on Google, and that's how we found you. Um, and, and we're like, oh my gosh, their promises sound too good to be true. Yeah, we're like, oh, you know, so I was talking to Maria and poor Maria, I grilled her a ton when she was, you know, when she was selling us on everything. You know, what What are your numbers and what's the average? And can you show me a bunch of campaigns? And oh, these were all really successful campaigns. Okay, cool. And so- that, do you think we could make about well? She was like, "What do you want to make?" We're like, "We want to make like I, I, I said if we made ten thousand dollars, I think that'd be cool. And if we, we made eighty, that would be fantastic. Yeah, eighty would be more than we could ever imagine. Um, there would be enough to buy like five thousand units and fill the backers and really run our business. And so, so we, you know, obviously through the whole launch room curriculum as we're going through it, we're like building up an idea of like what you know how much we need to make and and what we want to hit and what our goals would be and. You know, like we had fa phased goals where we're like, okay, well, if we hit $5,000, great, we're in business, let's go. And then if we hit $38,000, perfect, you know, we can pay back the National Bank of mom and dad that had helped fund some of this stuff. And 
buy a bunch of units and even better. And if we make 85, well, that's, you know, that I guess that's the upper limit of our of our dreams because we can't think any far farther than that. And cool. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then we started doing the ads with you guys and we're like, oh, my gosh, they're doing so well. And we had twenty six hundred VIP signups. And so we th started thinking, wow, this is this might actually work. Like, you know, there are people that actually want the game. Well, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Then when we did the first day, we were like, oh, nothing's good. I mean, it felt like Christmas. I actually told Amy at 530 in the morning while we're sitting there waiting to start it. Here's what's going to happen. We are going to click go live. And nothing's going to happen. And nothing's going to happen. And then until we email our. Yeah. Then we're going to send out the emails and then some people but will will it and then spend the rest of the day refreshing the page. And maybe every half hour, like one person or two people will buy it. So let's just. Let's just plan for a, like a day where we're constantly refreshing the screen and everything goes slow. And so at 6, 6 a.m. we set it live. Our our like emails to all our VIP signups weren't even supposed to go out till 7. And I set it live and our friend Jenny is like waiting to... Uh, she wanted to be the first backer. To be the first backer. So she got up early and she's sitting on chat with us. And, I, and I'm like, okay, it's live. And I send her the link. And as I'm pasting her the link, it goes one, two... Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And I'm like, send, I'm like, Jen, you gotta log in faster. You're not even gonna make top one hundred at this point. And she's like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I can't, I can't remember my password. Oh god. And it's like, and so this was it's so we were, you know, funded in sixteen minutes. She Jenny made back her like sixty eight or something like that. And it, and she backed us like four minutes in. And then like we called like I mean, we were just in disbelief. We're still in disbelief. Yeah, my family was asleep, and so we <laughs> finally called them at like, like seven. We made it already fifty thousand. Yeah, we're yeah, we're like, and it's just climbing. And so by lunch, like what on a game? Yeah, and then by by the afternoon, we'd hit that eighty five thousand mark. And I looked at Amy, and I'm like, we're you know after this point, it's all just a bonus. Like we hit we hit our wildest dreams in the first day, and then yeah. Well, and then also like what you guys suggested to do, we used gel up. Yep. So I mean, like, Jell kept things moving really well. Yeah, it just kept going. We kept finding new people that wanted the game, like the whole campaign, and and you know, like yeah. my flower friends, and like there's a a lot of people that love gardening, like I do, and love vintage and and that and they, there had not been a Victoriana gardening uh, oh. like flower themed <laughs> board game made for people before, so we found a really good market niche that didn't have a lot of other. Competition. No one's made that game. Yeah, <laughs> that's an amazing story. I, I, like the feeling that you're talking about is probably the coolest thing to hear about. And we we've been a part of so many campaigns yeah. now, like going back to 2013. And yeah. I've personally woken up so many times at you know 5 a.m. to be a part of the launch or even press the launch button for a lot of our clients in the past. And watching you know oh, yeah one two three like all types of backers come in hit the goal and then you know 15 minutes and a few minutes whatever it might be is is extremely exciting and validating for what you created yeah yeah and i'm already nervous for our next game <laughs> like the next one like we're like what if the next one isn't as big as this one but it doesn't it doesn't matter it's just a pre-order gauges demand it's all good and like and now the the nice thing is is that with its infrastructure and this this plan we have built with you guys and we have built with our other vendors like it, to, to us it's not a matter of if the game will be successful because it will be like, you know, we have a fan base and everything, everything is there. And that and launch boom was like a massive part of building that fan base. It will be about flowers. Yeah, it's about flowers. <laughs> but it's just like it's more of like, OK, well, let's see how successful it is. And that will help us figure out how many orders we need to play, you know, how many units we need to order. Like it's actually just like a part of regular business now. You know, uh, uh, we have a level of confidence that just because we have seen how how it works and we we know we have the people like on board to help us make sure that it is successful. 
So let's go back to, you know, how the pre-launch worked. You already mentioned, you know, you had over 2,000 VIPs. Can you explain to everyone listening, what is a VIP? You know, what did you do? How did the advertising work? I know this is a bigger question and we can break it up into parts, but maybe just start by explaining this whole reservation funnel and, and what that is. It was actually a lot simpler than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, as most things are where you think there's going to be some magic and you're like, oh, wow, this makes perfect sense. So basically what we did is we offered this eight card little mini expansion and it goes in with the game. It has a character. It has some unique blue flowers. And so the the only place you could get it for, for was for a dollar. You could you could buy it as like a reservation and a, and a VIP status for our Kickstarter campaign. And so they got the mini expansion when they backed our campaign. They got access to our Facebook group. So they're the first one to know about everything. And so we created a landing page and we started doing advertising for that landing page. And so, you know, people came and we had, so we had 2,600 people actually pay the dollar to get access to that mini expansion. And then we had another 6,500 people leave their email because they still were interested in the game. They just didn't, when you don't want to put the dollar down or whatever. And then also like we got all the advertising by watching all of your guys. Yeah. And then jumping on office hours and going through it in detail with, with Hera and Justin and Soren. And so game boxes are the way to go. Yeah. A shot of the game box was our best. Best performing image. But so we started to get an idea of, okay, like we have demand for this. We have a big following base. The conversion rate based on all the, his, you know, the historic data you guys had, the conversion rate on anybody that put that dollar down was extremely high, you know, and they told you guys told us it would be 35 to 45%. And sure enough, we landed at like 43, 44% conversion rate on all those $1 reservations. So like going into the day, it's about as certain as you can be about how many backers you're going to get based on that group without, you know, having actually just made the sale. And so we, you know, we knew with reasonable certainty in that spreadsheet you guys have was super useful about how to, you know, figure all that stuff out that, that we were going to have, you know, like a thousand ish backers, no problem. And based on that, we could infer, okay, well then we'll make you know this much money and we'll be able to do this. And so, you know, we felt really good about getting funded rather than just flipping the switch and like hoping it all worked out, you know, like I felt there's still that little sense of uncertainty, but I, I just felt like we were so And then all prepared. the momentum that you get from the first day backers helps you get on things like more, more projects momentum. we love and gets you to the top of the Kickstarter page. So you the magic and the popularity list, yeah. More backers yeah. may not have seen you. Awesome, yeah, thanks for going through that. I actually want to go back, well, actually, before I go back, just to give, you know, a quick you know, concise, like overview of what you went over, just so like listeners like fully understand, like really what they're talking about is in the pre-launch, you can build up an email list of people, potential backers that want to back your project, but it's a little bit further than just getting an email. You also give people the opportunity to put down a reservation. In this case, it was $1 and they would get this extra like exclusive add-on. It was Brilliant Blue Botanicals was the name of it, I believe. And in, in doing that, you're having people essentially make another commitment, which shows is a better sign that they're actually even more interested in backing your campaign. And they had over 2,000 people that put down this $1 reservation. And so once they actually went to launch, now they had this big list of people that were very, very interested in backing the campaign, which then helped the campaign do over six figures in, in 24 hours. Now, I want to go back to the advertising portion. You know, you, you already talked about some tips, you know, image of the board game can work. But even before that, 
you know, was this your first time doing running meta ads or Facebook ads? We have a wedding photography business and we had tried, but they never really worked for us. They got us some followers yes. and stuff, but it's not, I don't know. Weddings are a very big ticket item and it's a service oriented, even your photos, even though we're delivering a product to you, it's still, you're still hiring us for a service on the wedding day. And so, you know, we didn't have any guidance and the advertising team game is just completely different than it is for like retail. $20. Yeah. And that was it. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know where we would have even started if we had not, you know, had LaunchBoom helping us like figure out what ads to run and, and the whole process of, you know, here's how, here's step-by-step how you go about testing. So you can find the best performing ads and, you know, images and text and the, you know, that whole structure yeah, we would not have known where to begin or what to do or even how to interpret the data once we were having it come through. So the when I say the $1 reservation, the reservation system is is simple. That part, yeah, that that's simple and you know and just like mind-blowing how how much sense that makes and it's so nice to have LaunchBoom structure to facilitate that, but then on top of that all the added value of even how do we get there? How do we get people to the reservation? Yeah, that how do we target. So like you would think that we would be targeting like board game lovers, but we found out that one of our highest converting were what? Magazines? Gardening publications. Yeah. Gardening publications. We went, we went through your launch boom, like list of like, here's our really good performing audiences we have created. And I just happened to click on like the outdoor and garden section. I'm like, yeah, I'll see if anything in here sticks, whatever. And I'll throw it out there. And it, it performed as well as, as the board game sections did. So yeah. So we had a lot of people come from outside of, of the general like, oh, I never see board game ads. You know, I can't, you know, it's so fortuitous. the most targeted Facebook ad yeah. I've ever seen. How did you come up with this? Like, how did you even think to advertise? You know, how did, did I see this? And then like, well, that, you know, it's probably that you probably because you're interested in better homes and gardens and who knew, right? Like, yeah, it's really cool. And I think that's one of the most, one of the biggest or coolest things about this campaign is that you were able to go after, let's call it like the non tabletop board game audience when it came to the advertising this tactic i think is like very important to point out because i think it could be very useful for other games as well to think outside the typical box of okay if i'm targeting a certain audience on facebook i'm going to go after people that are interested in board game related interests of course that makes sense you should probably do that definitely but what are some other interests that they may have that would fit with your game. In your case, of course, gardening, people that are interested in botany, that's going to be something that would probably resonate with this audience and it ended up being one of your best performing audiences. So it's, it's really awesome that you did that. I, I love that you did that. And you know, obviously the results speak for themselves. Now, another thing I wanna focus on is when it comes to a successful Kickstarter campaign, really any successful product launch, positioning is really so important like how you message and position your product your board game in this instance and i think the results speak for themselves that that y'all nailed it how did you come up with your positioning like was there a process that you followed we okay so we could not articulate it at first but we had basically built a game that amy would like to play yeah and so there are there are lots of mechanics that I don't mind. Maybe they're not my favorite, but I'm not like getting angry at them. But there are lots of mechanics where Amy is like visibly angry while we're playing. Like, why is it making me do this? I don't want to do this. And so we we built a game that was like like Amy's style of game that was also interesting to everybody because we have lots of gamers and lots of non gamers in our family. And it was that was sort of like 
it, it had enough depth to be interesting to everybody and also it was exactly like, you know, all in Amy's favorite stuff. And so we we didn't really know that we, we knew that we had done that, but we didn't really, we weren't really able to say this is our target market. And so then you guys do workshops with Ori at Kagan Productions as part of the Launch Boom Games. And we had found him to do our video. And as part of that- other Kickstarter if, videos. Yeah, we saw other Kickstarter videos. And he had kind of like this, this deep dive session to figure out like what what should this video be about? How should it be made? Who should it target? And as part of that, we built our target super fan, defined like everything about her, like how old is she? What does she do? Where does she work? Well, you know, is she a social gamer? How does she envision using this game? You know, what? how many games does she have? I mean, you know, we came up with this girl, Mary, who was effectively like Amy, Amy plus like having game parties. I would like some if, if we had more time. Yeah. <laughs> And then from there, we were able to say, aha, well, what what meta ads is Amy going to be, attra- or Mary going to be attracted to? What box cover? And it was all, you know, Amy's, as Amy's designing all this stuff. And so that really affirmed what we were sort of already planning to do. Like, if you look at our Kickstarter page for, like, positioning and messaging, a lot of Kickstarters, you go to them, and the first thing they have is a spread of all the tokens and meeples and and miniatures and everything that come in the game. And the very first thing on our page was just the game on a table outside on the back half of our farm, you know, in nature. And there were some vintage pieces, vintage, like, yeah, antique pieces with it. And then there you go. Well, that's because Amy liked that. We thought it should be first, but also then we realized that that's what Mary would like. And so when Mary looked at our Kickstarter page, Mary from image one is ready to back this game. And we also Good did to go. use a lot of like mechanic names, like, that people that I wouldn't understand. Yeah, just like I, I mean, I, you know, if you, you know, of our fifteen thousand backers, I would be willing to guess that maybe twelve thousand of them don't know or care what set collection or tableau building or randomized events are. Like they don't, they don't. Yeah. That's not something that is in there that they think about typically. But they, they use the words that they would know. Yeah. So you're. So we describe it literally. We're. You know. Because if you look at like some of the really hardcore games, they're like, this is. 4x worker placement and you know and for their fan base like the fan base goes aha i love 4x worker placement let's go you know for our fan base it was like like what is that? yeah so you're traveling to get flowers and you know and you have you know all these random things happen to you and you got to get stuff and so we we made sure to describe it in a way that that answered all the questions for really hardcore gamers but also would would mean something to our target audience and the way we were sort of positioning the message and everything and, and another shout out to Ori Kagan. Everyone should definitely go check out Kagan Productions. It did a great job. And we also love, love working with them. So we talked a lot about things that went, have gone right or went right for your campaign. Maybe just looking at the marketing side of things. Is there anything that you did to market your game that did not go well? We paused for a little bit with Jellic for like two days. And those were our lowest two days. Yeah, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. you know how how our budget was looking and everything and so we paused our ads with gel up for two days thinking well we have all this organic it'll be fine let's get this figured out gel up was totally fine with it they're like okay no problem let us know when you're ready to start them again we'll get everything moving again uh, and what you need to realize is that like when you're doing the advertising it also brings in more organic and we hadn't quite realized that yeah so there's there's it's not just like uh, we were we were looking at it like we because we have three other businesses we were looking at it like we run our farm where this flower press cost me X. It cost me this amount to ship and this was my profit, right? But in Kickstarter, it's not just that individual sale of the unit. 
you know, if you sold a hundred units, now your numbers are higher. You're more attractive to this. You're higher on the rankings for the magic and the and the popularity. And so when we paused, even though even though the 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 sales that we could directly attribute to our ads were running at a profit, but they weren't as you know our thought was they weren't as high of a profit as our other sales that are organic, where we didn't have to do anything. You know, our the two days that we paused our ads, in addition to not having any revenue from ads, were the two lowest performing days we had of the entire campaign for organic. And we dropped, you know, we dropped, we were like number four on the popularity that day. We went back and forth between like one and seven. I mean, and don't get me wrong. We still made a lot of money that day. Yeah. It was just the lowest. But it was the lowest out of, you know, over the average of what everything we had done, it was the lowest two days. And so as soon as I realized that, I said, aha, this is not just about each individual sale. Like this is about the momentum and everything else you're doing to drive sales across the board um that way and so we you know we're right back turn it back on let's go you know i i i, I thank you for allowing me two days of making this mistake <laughs> and now i now i understand like i needed to learn i needed to shoot myself in the foot to learn so learn from us you don't have to make that mistake yourself right yeah paid media i, I feel like a lot of people don't understand just how powerful it is and i like that you you talked about how yeah. connected it is to everything i mean the organic lift that you get and when I say organic, just for everyone listening, we mean, you know, the Kickstarter has traffic on it. They have people that are looking for projects to back. And in order to show up higher in the rankings, you need to be a popular project. That's one of the highest weighting factors. So the simplest way to think about it, you're getting more, you are getting more pledges every single day. You're likely to go higher up in the rankings, which then is going to give you more free organic traffic from the platform. So everything's all connected. Related to that, we... So this wasn't really a mistake, but it was something that we had to sort of, that we sort of saw and laughed at. And so we had, there were a few, there weren't a ton of people, but there were a few people that were like, oh, well, I bet they're only so successful because they spent money on, a bunch of money on advertising. Well, yes, that's how business works. Like, do you think that Coca- McDonald's? Yeah, McDonald's and Coca-Cola don't spend money on advertising. Do you think that Amazon and Whole Foods don't spend money on advertising or Ford? Like, no one's going to buy your product if they don't know about your product. And so, you know, just to say like, oh, I put it out there and it went viral, you know, maybe, but that's not, that's not how you take your destiny into your own hands, right? You, you, you spend the money on advertising, you keep an eye on your return on ad spend. So you never lose money because you watch and see, okay, well, I, you know, I paid $10 for ads and I got $30 in sales and my return on ad spend was 3X and that's good. Okay, perfect. You know, that's just, that's just how business works. And I found it really funny that there were a few people out in the, you know, in the interwebs and we all know what the interwebs is like that had comments about like, well, they must be spending money on advertising clearly. Well, yeah, clearly. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if, it, as if it's a bad thing. Yeah. I, I think there, I mean, there's always going to be a subset of people that view advertising as a, as like a negative force when, when in reality it can be something yeah. that is very, very good. At the end of the day, it's just connecting a product with, you know, the customer that, is going to get value from that product, and which is a yeah, they act day, like a very good thing. People by advertising, and you're not. You're just making sure that people see the product, and then they decide, "Ooh, I, that looks cool. I want to buy that." Right, and that's you know that's advertising. Right, right. So you so you mentioned you know you still have other businesses. Like, how does Botany now? Or I mean, Botany is just one game, you know, part of your business. But I'm curious, how does now creating games fit into? the rest of the businesses that you have in your life are are you keeping those other businesses are you all in on the games how does it work 
we're very much about the net where we, you know, we have lots of like diversity of investments and income sources. And so luckily, you know, it's work at home, work in the evenings. It's been a lot of work, like, don't get me wrong, but like, you know, maybe it's, you know, the pandemic really affected our photography business because events weren't happening. We were wedding photographers. One of our businesses is digital travel marketing platforms. Well, travel was down. And so it's, you know, it's, oh, now we have a little, now we have the board games going, The you know, so the farm is still running. It does its thing. I mean, there's busy periods for each of those things. But And like, we definitely t- are taking a step back from weddings so much. And also the flower presses, like I had to push pause because I was just way too busy with the board game. And we might start flower presses up soon again, but... It's enabled us to, to ease off of some of the things like having to be gone 50 nights a year at weddings. You know, maybe we only take 10 now, 20, you know, we, we it's given us a little more flexibility. Five. Yeah. Nine. Not to mention, <laughs> it's just like the board game business is just fun. People are like, oh, thanks for taking the time to meet with me. I'm like, are you kidding? We just spent an hour chatting about dice. Like, yeah, happy to. Like, everything is entertaining. My my, We have a game night every Tuesday night with my friends online. And they, you know, I got them into Gloomhaven, the digital version of Gloomhaven. And they're like, hey, do you want to play Gloomhaven tonight? I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I don't have to feel guilty. Like, like I'm taking time from that I could be spending baking games to go and do some research on Gloomhaven because Gloomhaven is now both fun and work. It's, it's the most incredible mix of, of, of like, hey, kids, you want to play, you know, Catan? And they're like, yeah, let's play Catan. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Little do they know we're actually working right now. Like, <laughs> Well, and also, like, we definitely want, like, a board game publishing company. I have so many ideas. Dusty's like, am I ever going to get it? make a game we will give no details right now but we have she has like 15 games in the works yeah and i made her focus on one as the next one which will be coming out next year i may be focusing on three and then i'll turn around and she's working on the one after that and the (laughs) one after that and the one after that right and so yeah we we have a we we have years worth of uh, of like release plan already figured out victorian flower theme or or curious yeah period period games yeah and then Dusty also has something oh, he likes. He's working on. We'll see if those ever get made. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will. You know, and it, that kind of leads into like market niche. You know, we started making Dream Sliver, and Dream Sliver is it's based on dreams I've been writing down for years about all these like really crazy characters and different things, and it's all these different genres of just like I'll wake up at four in the morning and be like, wow, that'd be a cool character, and I'll write down whatever I was dreaming about. But you know, miniatures. It, yeah, miniatures. If you look at Kickstarter. Kickstarter or GameFound or or any of the platforms, you know, they are very much a lot of board games or the board game industry in general is fantasy, sci-fi, miniatures, you know. And so if you're going to make that, just there's nothing wrong with making that. I'm making that. But you got to know that you're going into a market that is very saturated. And so you have to be prepared to compete for attention, to have something that that it's you can say is niche down. Yeah, it's not as niche down. It's a little more broad and, and you're competing against a broader market. Whereas like what we're working on. I don't think there's another Victorian flower game. Yeah. Or if you look at. So we, so if you're the first, even better. But if you look at like Bear Mountain Camping Adventure, you know, there's another they're another great example. And, and Casey and Zoe are really cool people. And but, you know, there aren't a lot of camping games. Right. You know, parks kind of. I can't even name any more off the top of my head. No, like national national parks. parks is you know it's a much it's a much less competitive genre, and so the people that you're trying to get attention from, 
either already have a bunch of board games, but this is something new and interesting that can fill up like a like a market segment, like a like a like a theme that they don't necessarily have oversaturated in their collection. Or you're competing against, you know, for people like like we brought in three thousand new backers, people that they're like, hey, this is this is like the third game I've ever bought, and so lots and- of florists. We've got lots of florists. What the largest botanical garden in the U.S. Wanted to buy. Yeah, it was the first retailer that reached out to us to buy our game. They buy a bunch of copies. So just, and that's not to say don't make those things, but like as we are making these, you know, these games that I kind of want to make about sci-fi and monsters and stuff, it's just something that you have to be aware of and think about and plan. And when you're working with LaunchBoom, you know, absolutely mention that to them. Hey guys, here's what I'm making. And I know I'm competing on this and, you know, and can find some marketing experts that can help you like, okay, well, here's the strategy that we should undertake knowing that this is a more saturated market or that we're doing this, this, and this, or, or like in our case, like, Hey, let's advertise to people who like gardening publications. You know, that's all, it's all just something to think about, like as you're working on your game. And so we, that's why we have, like, we're super confident about all these extra, uh, historical flower games that we have in the works. Um, and my other games, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'll just work on those. And then when they're ready, they're ready. But it's not, um, they, it's not as big of a, I, I don't expect them to be like a giant money driver for us like the other stuff. <laughs> you never know. Though. You never know. You never know. Never know. Yeah. But. yeah you never know. Y- y'all didn't think that, you know, botany was going to be so successful. So you never, never truly know and excited yeah, to know. see what's going to come down the pipeline. Hey, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to go back, you know, so I understand that, you know, you're, you're looking to have multiple income streams, but I, I find the business side of this to be really fascinating. And I think others might as well. Uh, I'm curious do you think that you could, you know, sustain yourself and your lifestyle if you were just focused on, you know, building, let's just say, a board game business? Because I do think that there are other creators out there that yeah, so. are looking yeah, yeah. to do just that. Yeah, yeah. We're slowly like getting out of things, but also like COVID kind of changed stuff and accelerated changed different things. things. Yeah. I have, so I have a super strong opinion about this because we have been entrepreneurs since like a couple years after we got married. And so we're going on 14 years of, well, actually I, so I quit my job, my last job working for somebody else, I quit 11 years ago. The thing I think a lot of people get in trouble with is that they're an all or nothing. They're like, oh, I can't do a board game business or, oh, now I have a board game business and I'm quitting my other job and everything like that. And so I think, I think the way that, and this is the reason that we so many small businesses fail. Like yeah, or two, just to make sure because we don't. That you have consistent income. Yeah. yeah, that you have enough savings built up. And so what what our Kickstarter campaign has done is it has it has given us a, like a ton of working capital to run our business, and the business feels super good. The you know that means the other businesses we can just run to to pay the bills and make more profit, and you know and and do what we need. And back off a little. Yeah, and so. <clears throat> What I'm trying to say is that you should like step into it. Don't have if you have a great Kickstarter, don't go quit your job, right? Have a great Kickstarter, keep your job going, work on your next game, fund your next game, and and begin to develop that consistent income for a couple years. So that like if you I don't know if- and like we're also not really spending any of that money that we got. Like we each bought like ourselves a little something. I bought a little too much Warhammer. I bought yeah. Warhammer, and yeah. I bought botanical books <laughs> yeah a little, probably a few too many botanical books but but by and large like you know we're all we 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 have been working investing in the kids wanted a pool they're not they're gonna, like yeah. no you can't have a pool yeah we can buy the pool but they're not getting a pool yet and they don't understand it because that money is going back in the business yeah we're gonna buy more games we're gonna sell more games and, and so it's so we have we broke you know a lot of people are on 
like the Kickstarter treadmill. Every project is to either is to fund the next project, right? And for us, luckily, we 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 knew all our math going in. We knew what kind of profit we were going to make. Then we can make decisions based on, well, here's how much working capital we'd like to have for the business going forward. Here's how much it cost us to make the game. Here's how much money we made. You know, where does all that stuff come together? And what do we need for the next game? And now we have enough for the next game. And so the next Kickstarter we run, rather than having rather than being necessary, we can already pay for the next game. And the Kickstarter, the next Kickstarter we run will be marketing, like a marketing project, and help us gauge demand. And so, you know, it's not like, oh gosh, I hope we have another million dollar campaign. If our next game is $250,000, $400,000, whatever. Which is still amazing. Which is still an incredible amount of money. That's all in the plan now because we because we are keeping enough on hand and we're keeping our other businesses going so that we are not, we don't get into a desperate situation. I think that's, you know, you hear that 95% of small businesses fail and I think that's the primary reason that they fail because because they don't have a backup plan and they don't have, they don't allow for like sufficient room and flexibility for risk. So luckily, like when the pandemic hit, we had two businesses. We were able to sort of finagle them. Yeah, we started a third. We were able to finagle all three enough that rather than them failing, any individual one of them would have done so good. We were able to keep everything running and and work it that way. And so like for the board game business, like people have a hard time understanding, like how can you be 100% into four different businesses? Well, we are. We work a lot. (laughs) But the board game business is 100%. And as it, if it gets to 150 and 200%, then we can start to back off that other stuff, you know, to give ourselves a sense of that security in running our business. Makes a lot of yeah, sense. I think that's great advice. Security. Yeah, when we started doing the wedding business and he quit his other job, we took like a year or two. Yeah, I was, I was, my at the time I was consulting for anybody out there that's a tech consultant. I was consulting down in Silicon Valley. And so I would, I would get up at five in the morning. My clients were on the East Coast in the UK. I would work till three in the afternoon and then I would spend the whole afternoon and evening doing photography stuff. Well, now that's sort of what we're doing in board games, right? We still have our clients and all our existing businesses in the beginning. I get up in the morning. I work on all that stuff in the afternoon and evening. I work on board games and and until we can start to sort of, you know, translate into that. And then try to like streamline everything too. Yeah. If we're smarter. And if you don't, if you're the kind of person out there that doesn't know how to be more efficient. Well, I mean, we don't know all kinds of stuff. We go to Launchboom, right? We go to our other vendors. We go to our manufacturer and we say, what is the best way to do this? And then when they say, you know, this is how I would do it, you know, we maybe we change a few things here and there because it fits better with us. But for the most part, like people are like, well, you know, how did it, you know, what did you do? I said, I did literally everything that Launchboom told me to do. Yeah, we also hired Golden Goose and they do sales and distribution. Sales yeah, and distribution. We would have had no clue how to do that. Yeah, they and they're like, I would do this, this, and this. I'm like, that sounds cool. Or I would do this, 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 and this. And I'm like, well, that one thing, maybe we change it to this, and that, like, perfect. And we're, you know, and we go. Panda's like, well, you know, the best thing to do would be if you did these three things to get, you know, to with this type of material. That sounds great. You guys are the experts, right? And so, our, like, our big strength is we go out. We know how to go out and find experts. And that help knows us do how it. to ask questions. Ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry. I feel so sorry for for your launch boom team. I have asked them ten million questions. <laughs> we love it. That's what we're here for. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> I feel like that the everything that you just said right there, both of you. There's so much to unpack there. <laughs> this could turn into a two hour podcast if <laughs> we're going to ask a ton of questions just on that. But I do want to say, I mean, I think it's it's really awesome advice that you gave around like risk mitigation and thinking about you know you don't have to go all in on 
you know, launching this Kickstarter campaign to bring the, you know, make a whole bunch of money to make this board game business come to life. Like this can be something that you're doing on the side, which probably makes more sense as you have income coming from somewhere else. And then you test out, you know, launching this, this Kickstarter campaign for your board game and seeing what happens from that. And then depending on that, you know, go to the next stage, you know, for botany, y'all rose a million dollars, which is, which is rare. I mean, it's a extremely successful. It's very rare to do that. I mean, that gives you a whole bunch of other options, which now you're going to, you know, you're fitting into your strategy for launching your next game and also how it affects your life in general. But anyways, great advice. I appreciate that. Speaking of advice though, what advice do you have? Or Dusty, did you want to say something? In fact, well, I was going to say, actually, you made me think of something. So, so our thought, you know, people are like, Oh, does that mean you're risk adverse? Risk adverse? No, we wouldn't have started a board game out of nowhere and launched a Kickstarter if we were risk averse. Or did um, all the, our other companies? Yeah, it's all about that the the risk mitigation, right? Well, they they when you get desperate, then you're in trouble. When your business gets desperate, you know that's when businesses fail. When you run out of when you don't have options or flexibility, that's what makes you be that's what leads you to be desperate, right? And my Part of what LaunchBoom did for us that was so brilliant is it gave us options, right? We weren't like coming into this with just sort of having to try to pre-market and not maybe we had a hundred people on our email list or in a Facebook group or something and and then and then we launched a campaign and then we're not getting what we need. And then, you know, and then we we don't have any options. Oh, maybe we need to go get a loan, which we did not want to do. You know, what what do we do? What do we do? What do we do here? Well, as opposed to that, so we started with your process four months before the campaign, five months before the campaign launched. And as we as we began going, not only did it give us options because we understood we had this many people and we could do this and oh, now we see we can do this, this and this. But it also gave, you know, that which gives us more flexibility, but also baked into your process is, is the sort of the whole determination of is your campaign ready to go live, right? And if it's not, you have built-in flexibility there so that you're not like, oh, you don't figure out the day before the campaign launches. Well, maybe I'm not ready. And then it flops, right? You know, weeks in advance after your check-ins and everything else that yes, we're on the right track and we're going to be ready or well, no, you know, this isn't working or our ad spend is too high and maybe we need to reposition and think. So you're, you're, you're giving yourself options and time to adjust and to make good decisions and to, to dial into your target market before you get to the, before you click that launch button and nothing happens and you get desperate, right? So it just feeds into that whole process of, of just making sure of, of mitigating the risk that you are taking, like by knowing that you, that you are, that your, your campaign is ready to launch and be successful. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I mean, just first off, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the coolest things or one of the main benefits of the pre-launch that a lot of people don't think about is that it is just another way to learn and then give you further validation of, you know, I guess validation or not of if, if you should launch. And it, 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 that information is super, super valuable before going into the launch. You can make projections about how successful it might be, which then allows you to make different types of choices or make different contingency plans based off of having actual data to, to base it off of. And, you know, the, the question I was going to ask was, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people listening. <laughs> so am I. So am I. So are we at Launch Boom. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of people, I feel like that, you know, yeah, Amy's not. Yeah. That's totally fine, too. Because there's a lot of people that are, you know, like kind of like sitting on the sidelines that are, you know, they have ideas for games or products. But let's let's 
think about the 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 person that wants to actually launch a game. I'm curious, you know, what advice would you give to them that they they're dreaming of launching a game, but they maybe are like held back a little bit from from fear of doing it? What advice would you give to that potential creator? Look into your target market. Yeah. Know who who your buyer or yeah. yeah, who your super fan is. That's a big one is just knowing who your super fan is. And then that, you know, that makes a lot of stuff click. Am I marketing right? You know, is the game fun? So like a lot of or some some people were like, oh, your game's too simple. What are you? Some thinking? people like your game's too complex. No, but, no one said. Well, that. we had that. I just didn't tell you about it. Yeah, oh. we do. I don't tell Amy about a lot of the heat like, we get online. <laughs> yeah, like it's so understand almost that if you get heat or someone says something bad about your game or whatever don't take it personally because they're obviously not your target market i'm gonna go on a tangent here about this target market thing when i was in college my dad bought a dodge magnum and if you have seen a dodge magnum or know what it is it's like a really cool station wagon (laughs) And I thought that was the coolest car I had ever seen. And I had a bunch of friends that thought it was the dumbest car they had ever seen. And the the Magnum, while they don't sell it anymore, was still, until the end, more or less successful. You saw them everywhere for a while. And it was because, and I actually read an article from Dodge where they were talking about this. And they're like, we don't need to make a car that 100% of people like. We need to make a car that 3% of people like, really like. Right. And and that has stuck with me forever about how this horrible, ugly car that I just thought was the neatest thing on the planet um, could be. Yeah, Amy didn't either, which is probably why she's, you know, she she thought it was cool to ride around in it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, think about that for your game. Know who your target audience is and then recognize that that not everybody is good at everything. And you and, don't have to please everyone. Yeah. There's this thing out in the world called Wealth Dynamics um, that talks about your path to like to success and so and you can and it's almost like a personality test and you can take a look at it if you want but it basically says like here's how here's what you're good at so i'm really good at telling people what to do strategy and emails and and like oh we should do this this and this and here's a system that could run this whole thing and all this stuff and and numbers and math and amy can create for days I, i like amy is more creative in the 15 minutes leading up to this podcast than I am in a whole year. And she can just create, 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 create. Well, so between the two of us, we can do a fair number of but things. But Etsy manages. I mean, yeah, I, I help her focus. Like, we need to work on this. But we're not good at selling. So we went out and found people to sell. I hate selling. I hate selling. We went out and found people to sell for us. You know, we're not great at marketing. We found LaunchBoom. We found Jellup. We, you know, we're not good. We don't know how to how to do a multinational cross-ocean manufacturing. I went out and found people that can help me do that, right? And so what what you need to do is, and a lot of people suffer from paralysis here, is just find one of those places. So for us, we found LaunchBoom. That was the first thing we did. We found LaunchBoom. LaunchBoom got us thinking about other things. Like I said, Maria at LaunchBoom helped us find our manufacturer. When I talked to the manufacturer, they're experts. They had some recommendations or in places that they didn't do something, they pointed us to other people. Yeah, And don't be afraid to hire people because like, honestly, like Golden Goose has saved us so much more money than we've paid them. Yeah. And like, LaunchBoom you had- make more money by hiring people to do the jobs that they're- That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. LaunchBoom, I mean, if you look at our investment, 
At uh, first, we were like, do we have that money? We were like, okay, we have that amount of money. We can spend it. It's a leap of faith. But if if nothing comes of it, it's not going to sink us, right? That's what, You don't want to do that. You don't want to go out and dump a bunch of money that you can't survive losing. Right. But if you have, if you're sitting on 500 bucks, go find someone who can help you for $500. Even if they're only consulting for five hours and they can point you in the right direction, right? That money will not be wasted because you are saving yourself on what you don't necessarily know. Finding an expert who does know and, you know, and listen to what they say. And, you know, so like, yeah, okay, botany was a cool idea and we positioned it right. But would it have been a million dollar campaign without Launch Boom, without Golden Goose, without Orient Kagan Productions, Jell-up. without Jellup, without Panda, without Kickstarter? No, not even close, right? We, we recognized all these things were really smart things to do. We didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We found people to help us make these things happen. And the money that we put into that, which, like I said, was not was money that we could have lost and we would have been okay. The money we put into it resulted in 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 the outcome, right? And so, like, yeah, the amount of the outcome was incredible, but the fact that we were going to have a successful outcome was was as close to not in question as it could possibly get. All right, I don't know of a better way to end it than that. With all the advice that you're given, there's been so many nuggets. Again, I feel like I could ask so many follow up questions to keep this going, but we do have to end it because <laughs> at a certain point, you know, we'll be here all day, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And I'd love to know, you know, what are, what are some places that we can keep up with you or you want people to give us some links? Where are some places that you want to send, send the audience that's listening? So coming off of Instagram and our, off of our photography and our farm, Instagram is a really good place to get a hold of us. So we're Duxomnium on Instagram, D-U-X-S-O-M-N-I-U-M. And then also, if you go to our website, ducksomnium.com, those are the two best places to get a hold of us. We are all about customer service, so we answer every message we get. We do our best to give it full attention to all our all our customers. So if you have any questions, you need help with anything, I wish somebody would have helped us. Shoot us an email or a message someplace, and we'll get back to you. Awesome. Short and sweet. I love it. Amy and Dusty, thanks so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it and sharing all the wisdom and your story with, yeah, with all the you. listeners. All right, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep, absolutely. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review at launchboom.com forward slash podcast or on Spotify. Every review makes a massive difference because it only allows more people to benefit from the experiences of our incredible guests. You can also sign up for a free newsletter at launchboom.com forward slash newsletter. Learn how to bring your product idea to life with crowdfunding just five minutes a week. We send one no BS email every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening.